Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam. Streaming on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at DCAUReview.com. Now, here's today's episode. Welcome, everyone, to episode 125 of the DCAU Review. I am your host, one of your hosts, Liam, and with me, as he always is, is Cal. Cal, we are wrapping up our Green Lantern month, and we're wrapping it up by returning to the world of Justice League Unlimited. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one today. We've been on quite the ride as we've gone through uh, several different iterations of Green Lantern. We started out the month, uh, which you can, if you haven't listened to them all, you can definitely check them out in the archives at dcaureview.com. But uh, we started back with the Green Lantern sort of pseudo-origin story of the DCAU, that being Kyle Rayner and Superman the Animated Series episode in Brightest Day. And then uh, we follow that up with a Jon Stewart tale from Justice League. Last week we took a little detour to the Elseworlds and reviewed the pilot episode of Green Lantern, the animated series that dealt with uh, Hal Jordan. And uh, this week, Liam, we are back to DCAU proper and uh, a Justice League Unlimited episode, as you said. We are reviewing this week The Return. Uh, which, of course, not only features Jon Stewart and not only features Kyle Rayner, it features a whole slew of Green Lanterns, uh, quite possibly the majority of the Green Lantern core here in this week's episode. That's right, and I will, probably in visuals, give you the names of every Green Lantern that appears, so stay tuned for that. Can't wait. But, <laughs> but yes, so this is an interesting episode. As you mentioned, it's called The Return, and we will get into breaking down the return of Amazo, who previously appeared in Tabula Raza Parts 1 and 2, which we reviewed previously. Check it out in the archives at dcaureview.com or on your favorite podcast app. And we will get into the plot, the visuals, the music, the animation, the whole shebang. But first, Cal, of course, I must start us off with the official IMDb synopsis for this week's episode. Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, we are reviewing The Return, uh, which originally aired back on September the 18th, 2004, Liam. So that just puts us at, we just passed uh, just a few days ago, the 16-year anniversary of when this episode originally debuted. That's right. Uh, funny uh, happenstance as this was, <laughs> wish we could say it was on purpose, but just kind of a happy accident there. But yes, just past the 16-year mark for that. And this is the synopsis for that episode which was written by J.M. DeMatteis and Stan Berkowitz, directed by Joaquim Dos Santos, with music by Christopher Carter and Michael McQuistion, and animation by DR Movie Company. And that synopsis reads as such. After blasting through the entire Green Lantern Corps, the android Amazo returns to Earth. Only the Justice League stands between him and his goal, the now-reformed Lex Luthor. There you go. That's a that. I mean, these 22 minute ones, it's hard to mess up a synopsis. I mean, that's not to say that you can't do it because we <laughs> had quite a few that were just like, huh? But uh, yeah, that's a pretty good one, uh, which I guess uh, should probably lead us into breaking down our first category, which I assume is going to be plot, Liam. That is a good guess and a correct one, in fact. Yes, we're going to be breaking down our plot first here, Cal. So a lot going on in this episode, as we mentioned, obviously this is Green Lantern month. We have a whole slew of Green Lanterns. The episode starts with Jon Stewart asking to be reassigned from Earth and returned to Oa, uh, clearly still reeling from the events of Starcross, uh, asks uh, Martian Manhunter suggests that he and the returning Kyle Rayner, who you mentioned, Cal, we saw back in In Brightest Day, uh, asks if they can just switch spots. The Guardians tell him no, that John's just gotta gotta work through his own stuff and that he can't run away from his problems. 
But before we can get any further character development uh, with John in this episode, it's uh, pretty much all action from there on out as Amazo returns suddenly, seemingly runs through Kyle Rayner, Kilowog, Kat Matui, and several other of the Green Lanterns, appears to have destroyed Oa, and then comes to Earth to face off with the Justice League in, as our synopsis mentioned, a chance to finally apparently exact his revenge on Lex Luthor, who had used him and betrayed him previously. I guess big picture thoughts, Cal. Uh, what did you think of this week's episode from a plot standpoint? Um, I think this is an episode that has a lot of potential. I think this episode, more than anything, as we, as we will have the opportunity to talk in our next category breakdown, is more of a visual smorgasbord than it is when you really get into the nitty-gritty nitty of the plot. The majority of the tension comes from sort of, you know, this is Lex Luthor and or are Lex Luthor and Adam going to be able to complete this cannon, uh, this indescript weapon that they plan on using against Amazo in time before he barrels through the different levels of superhero defense system that has been set up to sort of try and protect Lex. So that's where the main tension sort of draws from in the episode. And ultimately, as makes a lot of sense based on where he uh, where he, he the character was sort of left off at the end of Tabula Raza, and then ultimately what we know about him here from this episode, he destroys an entire planet, or at least appears to destroy an entire planet. He sort of uh, off-screen deals with the majority of, or a strong contingent of Justice League members, including Superman, Stripe, uh, Orion, Green Lantern, Dr. Light, Starman. Uh, I think that's that's pretty much everybody that was there. Plus, a not to mention an entire fleet of javelins. Yeah. Uh, he sort of just off-screen deals with them and we're flashback. And clearly, he didn't have many issues with them. So um, we learn pretty quickly that he's he's pretty much has no match here. So it's going to, the tension really builds up to this. Is this cannon that they're building going to do its job? And it doesn't. So Adam, who this is his first appearance in the DCAU, uh, we get, get to see him uh, sort of pop out of nowhere. And obviously if you're familiar with the character, you're like, Oh, okay, that's Adam. And obviously he, him being in DC legends of tomorrow and, and uh, a lot of uh, more, more mediums uh, nowadays, it's, he's mm -hmm. probably a little more widely known and his powers are, are sort of probably uh, a little more widely known than he was at the time. But so he just sort of pops up What's the matter, Lex? <gasps> Scared? The Atom. You came with the other two, no doubt. You sound so disappointed. The most powerful creature in the universe wants my head, and the League sends its least powerful member to protect me. Come on, Lex. You're smarter than that. You know I'm an expert on nanotechnology. Yes, yes. The very same technology Ivo used to create the android. Which means I'm just the man to find the chink in the android's armor. And how are you going to find that chink without the android's blueprints? The League confiscated them. And now they've unconfiscated them. And ultimately shrinks Lex down to this micro-universe, subatomic universe, I guess. And uh, really the, the culmination of everything is Lex and Amazo having this verbal discussion where Lex is able to sort of use his brain power to out, outwit almost or to, to exploit what Amazo's one weakness is, and that is that he doesn't know what his purpose is. Um, so that's that was a little fascinating. The fact that it they tried clearly the episode goes through all these uh, they're going to hit him with fists or weapons or throw superheroes at him and he it's really it's not even 
he doesn't even break a sweat trying to, Amazo doesn't tr- break a sweat trying to fight them, and then ultimately it comes down to Lex's brain power to see if he can sort of outsmart or take advantage of uh, the one weakness that Amazo shows, and that being that he's confused about his purpose. So um, I think, and then then you do have the, the rest of the Green Lantern Corps show up, and they want to exact revenge on Amazo for destroying Oa, and you learn that he didn't destroy Oa. He just sort of moved, he says he moved it to another universe because it was in his way. It's over, isn't it? Yes. He murders an entire world and it's over? Just like that? I don't think so. I did not destroy Oa. I simply moved it to another dimension. It was in my way. Then could you move it back? Done. He puts it back and um, we, there is a, a an appearance by Dr. Fate who sort of plays the, um, I, I guess, the more peace-loving, uh, figure out a way that doesn't involve <laughs> Fist's way of doing things, uh, sort of the voice of reason uh, to try and... F- whether it's he realized that Amazo wasn't going to be able to defeat it by violence or he just would prefer not to use violence, I guess, is subject to how you look at the character. But his ultimate goal was to figure out another way other than fists to solve the problem. And ultimately, he invites Amazo to come back and live with him in his little tower castle. So um, overall, I think that there are some great elements to this episode, but I mm-hmm. think that as far as when you break it down and look at it, it's kind of a, I, at least for me, it was a little bit like, eh, this is okay, <laughs> but it's kind of anticlimactic. Yeah. I do think from a story perspective, the strongest part is what you talked about where Lex and Amazo, Amazo has, you know, has Lex dead to rights. He's destroyed or, you know, run through the entire justice league for the most part. And there's no one standing his way, but rather than just, blink him out of existence he you know he demands answers from lex as to why why when lex has so much everything that humans want wish to attain lex has yet he keeps going he keeps striving for more you know what what is it that keeps him going and lex sort of we get we get i guess we get a little bit of insight into lex's mind and him sort of uh convincing amazo that whatever this journey is, whatever Amazo has become, that it's worth sort of seeing through and worth him sort of finding his, his own purpose in life. Because clearly the, the amassing of knowledge and power has not given Amazo purpose. So that's, that's interesting in a, in a philosophical sort of way. Amazo, I guess we may have talked about this in in the first episode he featured in, but I guess it really hit me rewatching this that uh, Amazo is the DCAU Doctor Manhattan, huh? Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, he is. He really ultimately is. He he doesn't know his purpose. He doesn't like he has every power that he could possibly want and continues to amass it, but sort of is almost bored with it. He doesn't know what to do with it, and he he. Co- uh, you know, he comes back to seek revenge against Lex, and it quickly quickly realizes that if that happens, what else is there? What else is there to do? You know, he just kind of is bored with it all. Um, so yeah, that's a good comparison. I think that that's fair. To me, to me, when Lex Lex convinces him that his purpose is to sort of be a witness to everything, I thought you know, like Phantom Stranger or Spectre type idea. Well, I guess hmm. Spectre is more of a, a agent of vengeance, so he's less passive and more aggressive. But um, you, you, there are some characters in the DC universe that are, or even in the Marvel universe, that are tasked with that sort of just general bystander, um, you know, watching how, how things uh, work out, not necessarily supposed to get involved, but maybe... At, you know, occasionally get involved. So yeah, I think Dr. Manhattan's probably a, a really good comparison to that. He definitely takes some, takes some, uh, takes some notes from that character. My only other thought, uh, we can give our scores here in a second with, with the plot where I think it kind of lets me down is 
we establish that he is so enormously powerful. He can blink planets into other dimensions. He can follow the atom and Lex into this subatomic universe in the blink of an eye. He threatens to wipe out all of existence with a thought at one point. Why did he fly to Earth? (laughs) Why did he even bother, like, fighting the Justice League and, like, or flying through? If he can just appear in this subatomic universe or appear in uh, wherever he wants or teleport and and why didn't he just think about... (laughs) Lex or teleport Lex to wherever he was in the universe. Why did he, why did he have to fly to earth to deal with him? Well, do you want the honest answer? The honest answer is because then the episode wouldn't happen, but (laughs) (laughs) uh, I, I guess uh, I, I don't know if there would be a fair or relevant explanation other than uh, his first interaction with, uh, with Adam is maybe where he first discovers that there is a subatomic universe, I guess. I don't know. Um, I, as far as why he doesn't just teleport himself from uh, from wherever he was, why does he have to make a, a long space travel from across from one side of the galaxy all the way to Earth? I, I, I don't know. I, I guess <laughs> that doesn't make doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, because he, you're right. Cause he even says that he is, he is, you know, he is no longer, uh, nanite technology. He is uh, mm-hmm. no longer, uh, he is evolving. He's constantly evolving. He's evolved past that. So they almost put him on uh, without saying it, certainly godlike level of, of what he's capable of doing, certainly threatening to wipe out the planet or wipe out all of existence with a thought certainly would, I think dare dare to say fa- fair to say put him on that that godlike level. So I I I don't have an answer for you other than <laughs> because then the episode wouldn't have happened. But I think That's... that that stands that stands to say that when you have an, a character like this that is so overpowered and that is you have already built up to say well he not only <laughs> he not only is is powerful as he is but he's constantly evolving we learned that in the last episode he's constantly taking powers from various different people that he interacts with and adding them to his repertoire like uh, all right well and this guy's been flying across the universe and uh, amassing power at a rate that you know that no other being has ever amassed and well, okay. You're building up quite the interesting, like how could he ever be stopped? Who would ever want to <laughs> like, how, why didn't he just, you know, why didn't he just immediately blink Lex into in like with his thought, think about him, make him disappear the second that he heard his voice. Like why did he have to go to him? Unless, unless you want to say that he has that, humanity i guess maybe in him that he sort of grafted from various different people in his initial reaction um which would lead him to kind of want that face-to-face interaction where he where he sought revenge and got to see lex's face so maybe if you and that's the thing about dr manhattan that they always or they they sort of allude to at times is you know can they can they appeal to his former humanity like can Mm -hmm. they can they help him realize that now that he's this godlike being that has no, almost no conscience, can they appeal to his humanity that he, he once was a human man. So I guess, you know, you could have that undertone or undercurrent with this Amazo character because of the different people that he's interact, you know, he zapped Superman's powers or he, you know, he grafted Martian Manhunter's powers or, you know, whoever's powers that he uh, flash, like all of these people that are human beings or have human aspects to them. So you could say that he, he got those with the powers, but they don't really delve into that enough for you to, to, to assume that that's true. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I think there's some throwaway dialogue in the first episode of him sort of getting getting the weaknesses and some of the personalities of, of the heroes along with their powers. But yeah, I, I guess that's, that is probably the biggest difference between a Dr. Manhattan character who is shown to be pretty much 
emotionless and done with it all completely where at the end of it amazo is is much more sort of desperate and sort of uh, i don't know scared is the right word but sort of frustrated by not having found any purpose for himself so yeah i guess it's not a, it's not a complete one-to-one comparison but there's definitely some parallels there uh that all being said cal i think this is a fun episode it's interesting it obviously has some implications that come back later in later seasons of JLU uh, involving Lex and uh, a robot body. So, and obviously it's cool, but I, I think a lot of the things I liked more about this episode were in our other categories. So for all those reasons, I actually gave plot here a six out of 10. <laughs> and here I thought we were going to have a disagreement. Uh, I gave it the exact same score. I gave it gave it a six out of ten. Yeah, I think this episode uh, again. This doesn't. I, I I think this may be one of the JLU episodes that I've watched the most, just because you love seeing the Green Lanterns that we'll talk about mm-hmm. in the next in our next category. But when you break it down and you really sort of put the plot under a under a microscope, it's like eh. Mm. It's okay. And again, I think the fact that they kind of subverted a lot of stuff by having Oa really not be destroyed at the end and Lex doesn't get as, even though Lex has this meaningful conversation with Amazo and then flips on him and turns like he's a jerk to him immediately, (laughs) nothing happens to him. He doesn't even get his face beat in or like he doesn't, Amazo doesn't just like flick him into a wall or something like that Mm -hmm. out of spite. He just, he turns, he, he, for lack of a better term, he turns heel and then nothing happens. There's no comeuppance. It's just like, oh, he's a jerk and he's still a jerk. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, like I said, nothing, it's certainly a fun episode, but I think the plot uh, raises a few questions that it doesn't really answer properly. And, and uh, I also think just from a, Maybe maybe this is me uh, reading the episode or looking at the episode through green-colored glasses, but considering the start of the episode is John sort of feeling frustrated and, and wanting a change, and then he is immediately hit with the apparent death of, like, all of his friends, <laughs> maybe if we had followed John Stewart throughout this whole episode instead of... Uh, like maybe he goes off towards Oa and eventually discovers the rest of the core and then they all come back together. And the B plot is is the Justice League fighting Amazo and the C plot is the Adam and, and Lex Luthor working on this canon versus uh, versus what they did. Maybe that if we focus a little bit more on Jon Stewart in this episode, I think it would have maybe become more uh maybe felt more important or felt more satisfying at the end sure when the, you know when the when the core stands down and you realize oh it hasn't been destroyed but as it is you know he's in the space battle portion of this and gets knocked out and then he and the core are prepared to try to take you know take one last big shot at at amazo but yeah i just i would have liked to have seen it focus more on on the john stewart side of this or uh, either that or focus almost entirely on Lex, like show us even less of the battle and, and more of uh, more of Lex's like day to day. I don't know. There's just some things I probably would have tweaked, but we will leave that discussion there and move on to visuals and animation. And Cal, this is the point in the show where I, uh, I pull up the DCAU wiki and read you the names of all of the various heroes and the Green Lantern Corps who appeared in this episode. Fantastic. Well, before before you do that, um, so I watched this episode and then um, so I, I was watching the DVDs that we have. So they actually have the commentary for this episode on uh, on this. And, and it's uh, it's Bruce Tim, it's Dwayne McDuffie, it's James Tucker and it's Joaquin DeSantos. Uh, so it's the four of them discussing the episode. And it's, it's interesting because they they 
discussed this episode as being the one that they sort of said to or that they had heard fans complain complain that there weren't enough heroes in each episode <laughs> that each episode sort of only featured two or three people and they just said okay well that's fine that's a fair complaint but you're going to complain at how many are actually in this episode basically they're like all right gloves are off we're just going to throw as many people as we possibly can in there and there are an absolute bunch of them Absolutely. So just to rattle off some names here, we have Jon Stewart, the Green Lantern, Steel, John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, Superman, Dr. Fate, the Atom, Supergirl, Captain Atom, Dr. Light, Fire, Ice, The Flash, Orion, Red Tornado, Rocket Red, Starman, Stripe, and Wonder Woman. Not to mention the Green Lantern Corps, which was composed of Kyle Rayner, Ariza, Chastelon, Hirunin, Katmatui, Kilowog, Larvox, Palakwa, Salak, Stell, Spall, and Tomar Ray. My goodness, I am out of breath. (laughs) But yes, we have nearly, with a few exceptions, the entire Justice League, at least all of the super-powered members of the Justice League, on display here in this episode and it is it is a spectacle to say the least uh from the start of the episode where the green lantern corps flies out to put up a shield to try to protect oa to the the giant space battle where green lantern and superman uh lead a team against amazo uh, supergirl and steel kind of flying off to try to protect lex luthor uh the atom as we mentioned sort of working with lex to to try to prepare this uh, nanotech disassembler beam uh, <laughs> that they're working on. Uh, it's just, there's, it's a feast for the eyes to say the least, Cal. Yeah, there's not much time to to breathe. Like I said, I think that was certainly, it sounded like that that was their, their goal to sort of answer the critics that it said that uh, they hadn't done enough to include heroes. So uh, there are a lot of great visuals in this episode. Obviously, the sheer amount of heroes is one of them. Uh, we talked a little bit about that back in our 101st episode, uh, which you can hear in the archives at DCAUreview.com. But that being uh, initiation and the first, the first uh, episode of Justice League Unlimited that we covered and the first one in that series. But when you have all of those heroes in one episode, like I, as a fan now and somebody who understands sort of how this with the benefit of, of hindsight, obviously, knowing that, mm-hmm. yeah, they eventually did get to a lot of these different, you know, ancillary heroes and allowing them to star in their own episodes or be the focus of several story arcs. But having as many heroes as you do on the team, jam packing them all into one episode sometimes can make you sort of feel a little bit overwhelmed. Uh, so it wasn't the worst thing to include just a few, a handful here or there for a couple episodes. With that said, when that it does make those episodes where there are more heroes uh, seem like the stakes are a little bit bigger. And certainly when you have, as we already mentioned, an overpowered villain or antagonist in this episode where they're yeah you're you would think that all hands would be on deck this isn't like oh yeah the joker's running around in gotham city again we need batman (laughs) superman wonder woman like yeah okay that makes sense that you're just gonna get batman and maybe green arrow and the flash or something like that okay that makes sense but when you have the literal world probably threatening to to be ended and you're not sure what this per what what the ultimate goal of this giant superpowered being is yeah it makes sense that all hands are going to be on deck so yeah having a jam-packed uh uh you know bunch of or jam-packed crew there makes a lot of sense for the episode and added to the fun of it um there are a lot of visuals though besides just the sheer amount of heroes that are are listed here liam um some of them i thought that were interesting of course we get new uniforms uh for the entire green lantern corps actually those i also also learned uh all designed by james tucker who uh, well, with the exception, I guess he didn't design the the Kyle suit. The Kyle suit was the one that had been currently used in the comics at that time, and Bruce Tim wanted to include that one, so he gave James Tucker the task to uh, 
then give everybody else a new suit. So James went to town and apparently had a lot of fun with doing it. He expresses during that same DVD commentary that he had a lot of fun. He actually inadvertently also mentions that he inadvertently changed the look of Kilowog a little bit as far as uh, the model of his face. So if you look at his face, the the characterization yeah. of, of Kilowog does look a little bit different. But we, we've talked about that uh, at least three out of the four weeks we've, we've <laughs> done this, Liam, that another different look for Kilowog here in the DCAU. Uh, what do you think of this Kilowog? Where does this <laughs> Kilowog rank in all of the uh, DCAU appearances? I mean, I think it's a cool-looking suit as to – his general head shape, maybe maybe his species goes through like some sort of like m- molting or something. <laughs> well, it's funny and, in the commentary, Bruce Tim says he just had a little face face surgery in between <laughs> in between hearts and minds in this episode. Well, there you go. So maybe that's yeah, maybe that's the answer. But yeah, his his species clearly goes through some sort of metamorphosis, and this was the middle step between uh, his look in Justice League. And uh, how he looks in Green Lantern, the animated series slash Justice League versus the Fatal Five. As, uh, that's how I'll go with uh, making that work in my head. Um, Love it. Canon until <laughs> proven otherwise. Exactly. Some other cool uh, visual redesigns. We have a new space suit for Superman. Different than both his Superman, the animated series look as well as the sort of uniform space suits that they wore in the first season of Justice League. So I, uh, I dig the uh, the redesign, the more multicolored suit for Superman here. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I thought it's, it's a shame we only get to see it one time. Uh, there's a little bit of like somewhat inconsistency as to when Superman needs the space suit, <laughs> I feel like. like Sometimes he needs it, sometimes he doesn't. So I guess how far out of the atmosphere it depends, uh, he needs it. So, uh, But either way, it's a cool visual. It's definitely very toyetic. It's a shame that, that it was never made into a action figure like it, it looks very cool the the blue highlights and of course the emblazoned with the superman emblem across the chest uh as well as the sort of uh, over the mask over the mouth and nose oxygen mask very very cool really really neat design that was also also i believe a james tucker design for this episode nice yeah he's he seems like the the go-to guy for uh for when we need a redesign here um i know he Famously had to basically design all of Krypton uh, during uh, Superman the Animated Series, so he's just clearly got an eye for for that sort of thing of reinventing something while still making sure it has that classic feel to it. But yeah, we have a, a lot of, as we mentioned, we have the big fight scene where all of the heroes in space unleash on Mezo, and then we have sort of these two sort of smaller skirmishes. I like the bit where Supergirl just goes full force at Amazo and we get this giant explosion. And, uh, you know, she comes falling back down into the river below. Um, I, <laughs> my favorite bit, though, is during that sky battle when after watching Amazo destroy everyone in space, after watching Supergirl get destroyed by him, Rocket, uh, <laughs> Rocket Red is like, you know what's going to stop him? Some tiny rockets <laughs> and a machine gun. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I mean, it's it's the same logic of the guys that shoot missiles and bullets at Superman, right? Like, I guess it's, so. It's just like, well, these are the weapons that I've that I have, so I'm gonna try and shoot them. And what else am I gonna do? Um, yeah, I think we'd be remiss not to talk about sort of the beauty of those those battle scenes, whether it's the initial uh, call from John as as Amazo shows up in that uh, first wave in outer space. Turn back now. I have evolved far beyond what I was when we last met. You do not want to challenge me. Light him up! the light them up call uh, mm-hmm. along with the it's 
I don't I don't know I don't know what the what the term for it is. I know that from the DVD commentary they talked it being sort of having a very strong anime influence um, mm-hmm. from the director and a, while still being DCAU uh, visually for the most part. There's some anime influence on that. There's some anime influence in the second wave certainly where Rocket Red sort of rears back with his chest out and the missiles fly out and yeah. Uh, sort of pushes off, pushes away with his feet, uh, feet sticking out, and uh, just yeah. There's there's a lot of lot of more uh, cartoony like the, that Japanese animation style tends to be a little bit more expressive. A little, you know, the bodies are sort of doing doing things that maybe they wouldn't naturally do in a if it was real life, but because it's cartoon, they're kind of going over the top and over exaggerating some of the movements that the characters are making. Uh, you know, John Stewart pulls his ring and arms back over his head and sort of whips the beam out of his ring. Yeah. Um, it's very, very over-exaggerated movements and anim- over-animated almost. But they look in this type of like, all right, we're throwing everything at the wall, at the wall, and seeing what sticks uh, to try and defeat this 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 overpowered villain. Uh, let's just let them have it. Uh, so I, I thought that the, those visuals are are probably the highlight of the of the episode um as far as the action sequences go just because they're they're animated so beautifully uh like you said there is some uh there is some some tension that's built up in them it's like all right uh we get to see another uh, in the infamous dcau uh death of a robot that's <laughs> absolutely brutal as we see red tornado getting sliced in half Slices in half and then gets uh, and then explodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. So as we've mentioned uh, countless times, anytime there's a, a robot or an inanimate object that they can destroy uh, because of standards and practices would prevent them from doing so with a normal human, uh, they take full advantage of just doing the most gruesome, like terrible deaths they can for robots or ventriloquist dummies or what have you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a lot of cool stuff in in those battles. The the scene we would be remiss not to mention uh, Lex Luthor's barber uh, happened to look a lot like this is a very dated reference, but hey, it was dated when they made it. Uh, Floyd, Floyd the barber from the Andy Griffith show. Absolutely. Lex Lex Luthor's uh, fake barber who presses the button to send him down in, in the tube to uh, try to get to his secret bunker. I think there's some uh, some influence from Get Smart and a couple other sort of spy shows of the of the 60s and 70s and that design, like all the the doors opening and then closing behind Lex as he's running through them and things like that. So yeah, they 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 pull up some some pretty cool visual nods. I like the little effect uh, around the atom when he's shrinking. Oh, for sure. Um, I think that's that's cool and the the sound effects that go with that. Um, I think those those are pretty cool. The 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 little look of the the subatomic universe that they go into is is cool. It's it's not it's just sort of this barren wasteland. They're on this porous rock, which then turns into uh, a Mezo's hand, um, which I, I thought was a pretty cool little visual trick with the the fingers sort of coming up behind them. I thought that was a clever way to go about it. So yeah, there's a lot a lot of fun to be had here. Uh, I do wish we got to see a little bit more of the the space battle. It sort of cuts away before we actually see what he does to all of them. And again, that that maybe goes back to plot of me wanting to see more more focus on John Stewart in this episode. But uh, but no, yeah, I, think I, I think that's fair. I from so again, I hate to keep going back to it, but the the DVD commentary does allude to at least when he lands on earth and has the interaction with wonder woman and flash and ice and steel mm-hmm. um, there, they had to cut part of that battle out for time because again, they're dealing with instead of the usual, you know, 44 minutes or whatever it's been in the past with the two parter J J justice league episodes, this JLU is 22 minutes. So you got to cut some stuff for time. So it's possible, by the way, when he does land on earth there and he, there is a 360 pan that happens all the way around him. And he's standing there in the middle of these heroes. I thought that was a, those 360 pans are always a cool, uh, cool camera trick that they do uh, when they're filming and yeah. something that I imagine is probably not always easy to do. So 
but with that said, it is possible that they, they may have had to cut some of that space battle for, for time. Uh, but you're right. Yeah. That seems, that seems like it, it could have been, it could have been something that, that would have added some, some interesting, would have been interesting to see, see Superman fight in that suit. We don't kind of, we just don't really get to see him do that. He just kind of, we see him in it and he gets ready to take on Amazing. And the next thing you know, he's kind of floating there in space. But um, the other thing I wanted to mention was there is, I felt like there was certain scenes where the characters looked a little bit off model a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was some real inconsistency that I saw at points uh, with uh, some of the way that the character faces were drawn. There are some scenes where they look a little warbly. That's the word that I wrote down. It's like, (laughs) Ooh, they're, not quite the streamlined, like, you know, boxy, normal animation. And that's 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 nitpicking, but we do that here on this show. <laughs> yeah, I think especially I feel like with Lex and a little bit with uh, with with Supergirl a little bit as well. I, I, I kind of see what you're saying. There was also actually- where Supergirl, the, the, when she first picks up Lex, she's carrying him and they show her carrying him and her hand, she's not wearing gloves and then they cut away and then they cut back and she is wearing gloves. Yeah. There's another little minor thing, which is in, in the scene where when we first see Lex, he's having this interview where he's discussing what a changed man he is. And he reveals that underneath his, his dress shirt is the, the protective vest that the ultra humanite built him to, uh, keeps the cancer from from going from spreading further but then later he's got like his sleeves rolled up and his shirt unbuttoned and he's just got an undershirt on underneath he doesn't have the (laughs) he doesn't need it anymore he just needed it for the interview i guess not or maybe he got like a a lower cut version of the the vest and it just goes like (laughs) it's just up to the uh to the pecs now and it's like it's more between the time in between the time that he shows it and is picked up and dropped off at his going up to his neck he just opens up like the you know uh, oh, good, chest, point. So. good point now it's so, cut, yeah, maybe it's cut it's, like a wife beater now yeah maybe yeah maybe he made some modifications between <laughs> sure. between the first episode and now but uh yeah that that's that, there yeah there's a, some minor inconsistencies that being said still very cool uh the the visualization of dr fate sort of teleporting in and out is is cool with the with the dr fate logo appearing behind him and and things like that, and uh, some of Amazo's various powers. Him and uh, Red Tornado, before he destroys Red Tornado, have an interesting little scuffle. So there's definitely some uh, some cool some cool visuals to be had here. A lot of fun, and like we said, we get the entire Green Lantern Corps just about, which is extra cool. So for all those reasons, I really liked it. I do agree that there are some minor inconsistencies, but I still gave it a very strong score of 9 out of 10. All right, I am right there. I went just a, a tick lower. I went eight out of ten. Um, I think for for some of the reasons that we already mentioned there. I, I think we we have neglected to mention one very like large portion of this episode, uh, <laughs> and that is sort of the payoff and the dual meaning for the the title of this week's episode, which is the return. Yes. Because yes, it refers to Amazo's return and him looking to exact revenge on Lex. You could even, I guess, if you really wanted to stretch it, him returning Oa to its proper, its proper <laughs> place once he destroys it. But there is a big sort of reveal at the end, uh, which if you haven't watched these episodes, episodes in a long time or ever uh spoiler alert uh this is the episode where one shayara hall returns aka hot girl although she's not hot girl anymore that's right uh we have we forgot to mention that that is sort of finale of the episode is uh dr fate returns to the tower of fate with amazo and sort of speaking briefly to his wife inza and is remarking how he he thought for a moment there that John Stewart really was going to uh, to attack him and then then we get sort of the dramatic return uh, we hear her voice first and then she walks on to, on screen and in uh, a similar outfit she is of course now unmasked as you mentioned she's no longer Hawk Girl she's just Shaira now and yeah this this was a big giant moment because to this point in JLU we hadn't really seen uh, what Shire was up to we sort of speculated the final thing she says to John is that she's going to go somewhere where the fate of the world 
is not on her shoulders any longer. So, and now we know she's in uh, she's in the Tower of Fate. So that uh, that is a pretty good uh, pretty good stinger uh, cliffhanger to end us on is that she is still there and that hopefully one day soon we'll we'll get to see her again. So yeah, I like I said, I think uh, from a visual standpoint. That's certainly a standout part of it. And even that little reveal, even though that's more of a plot element, uh, I do like the way the reveal goes with sort of the slow reveal. You hear her voice first, and then it sort of pans over to her where she's standing there and then gives the final line. So, yeah, I think that's that's all really well done. Yeah, I, I think there was a couple other things. You mentioned the CG elements of Dr. Fate's powers sort of visualized. I thought those were those were good. There's a couple of uh, transitions with Amazo where he either walks, at, at least initially when he breaks into Lex's lab and he walks in through the shou- uh, shadows, he's in complete shadow. You just see his eyes light up and he walks out. Um, and then, of course, when they're in the subatomic universe and Lex decides to get smart with him. The transition from that scene is they sort of fade into uh, Amazo's eyes because uh, they have that dark black sort of domino mask almost around his eyes and they fade into that. And then they, the transitions into, into the uh, back in the, in the lab. So yeah, there's some, there's some great looking stuff here. I think with the, a little bit more, if they tighten things up a little bit more, I think, it would have been close to probably a perfect score from both of us. Uh, well, it would have been a perfect score from both of us, but either way, it's close enough with, with an eight and a nine. Absolutely. And that will move us on to our third category, which is music. Music this week by both Christopher Carter and Michael McQuistian. And we are back in Justice League Unlimited, Cal. And that means whether it feels appropriate or not, we are going to get a lot of electric guitar. And that was certainly on display here. But we also had some uh, some cool moments, such as the return of the green of Michael McQuiston's Green Lantern theme that we first heard in In Brightest Day earlier this month. There's an unidentified object approaching Oa at a somewhat astonishing speed. We're on it. <laughs> Nothing's going to get through this, baby. Activate planetary defenses. Magnify image. Professor Ivo's android. Holy mother of... So that's what the return is referring to. It's not, it's not about Amazo or Shaira or Oa. It's, it's all about that EDL you are it's like, absolutely it's like inception there's so many layers <laughs> uh yeah for sure uh, i i catch on right away uh it's mentioned it, it's played right in that opening scene and i at first i thought it was a new theme but it's really just sort of a reworked guitared up version of that uh theme that we heard back in that oh, superman wow. the animated series episode uh, in brightest day which as we mentioned in that episode is a very strong theme very enjoyable uh, very memorable and very sort of epic, deserving of its own animated series, I think, is what I said <laughs> at one point. Um, and that is played throughout the episode. Uh, it's also played uh, when they re- they end up in Lex's lab. And there's a cool shot that, again, we didn't really I didn't really mention it. But uh, when the lanterns show up in Lex's lab, it, they all sort of line up with their rings pointed at Amazo, and it sort of pans across the the lineup of them uh, standing there with their rings lit as Dr. Fate is sort of begging them not to, and they all light up their rings, and he sort of steps to the side once that happens. That was another, another great visual. Mm-hmm. But uh, as that scene sort of culminates, that theme again comes, comes through and it's really rocked up. And it's, mm-hmm. I think it's played one other time, maybe with some slight variation to the tune a little bit uh, yeah, when, yeah. when Kyle the, and Kyle yeah. and John are talking, maybe. Yeah. When, when Kyle and the rest of the Lanterns appear in space and they're sort of tending to the, the fallen justice leaguers, I think it comes in sort of very somber and soft there. And then to your point, when they're, when they have made their decision that they're going to go attack Amazo, it's, it's played very in like this angry minor key. And, and as you mentioned, super rocked up. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's that's very strong. The other thing, the other notes that I had, um, certainly the the scene between Lex and Amazo again that we talked about their conversation. There's a lot of thematic music that's played in the background, um, you know, that sort of builds the tension between between Lex and Amazo. And one of the things that that Bruce Tim even talked about when and I may have been Dwayne McDuffie also, uh, the late, late great Dwayne McDuffie on that commentary talked about, but that they realized that they had to, to write Lex to not be, he's not able to deceive him in any way because Amazo can, can read his mind. So that's building the tension that he's kind of telling him, he has to tell them the truth. And then you have the music that comes in in the background and sort of, sort of emphasizes that, oh, Lex is, He's manipulating while still telling the truth, which is, <laughs> it, it adds sort of emphatic uh, note to that. The other, only other note that I had uh, was uh, that the Justice League uh, theme, the the theme song for this series, was used uh, to punctuate several scenes as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think especially when the when the league is sort of assembled at the start of the episode and are sort of running off to the teleporter pads and everything, you get you get notes of it, and then sort of as the various league members appear before Mezo, yeah. They do some really really cool stuff with that. The the music that plays sort of directly after Supergirl and Amazo have the clash is it's sort of this big dramatic moment where uh, you know one of the more powerful leaguers goes down. I think it's it's really well done. Uh all in all I think the music is really, really strong in this episode and I gave it an eight out of ten. Wow. Uh, I went uh, for just because of the GL theme, uh, them reusing that would have been very easy for them to uh, to write something new and just sort of. uh, But we talk about it all the time, like having continuity and rewarding you if you recognize certain things uh, from prior series or prior episodes always adds a little bit for me. Uh, So I went ahead and gave music a perfect 10 out of 10. Nice. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a, a great episode for music, and always love when there are those uh, those musical Easter eggs and callbacks. Always a great time. Definitely. And that will move us on to our final category here, Cal, which is of course voice acting. We have a pretty big cast here today. Some of our regulars and some returning favorites, people like Oded Fair as Doctor Fate. We actually haven't done any Doctor Fate episodes either Superman or other Justice League appearances yet. Uh, We have him as Dr. Fate. We have Jennifer Hale playing his wife, Inza, as well as the reporter who's speaking to Lex. We have Nicole Tom returning as Supergirl. We have George Newbern briefly as Superman. We have Carl Umbley as the Martian Manhunter. We have probably some of the producers and, and voice directors on the show uh, doing groans and grunts for the rest of the <laughs> week. Uh, and, uh, or maybe it was archived uh, ADR. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. But then, of course, we have our sort of all of our – we'll save the Green Lanterns for last since it's Green Lantern Month. But as mentioned, Cal, we have Maria Canales doing her big return as Shaira here. <laughs> We have another guest, Inza. Would you prepare a place for him? Of course. Welcome. Are you all right? Fine. Although there was a moment when I actually thought John Stewart was going to attack me. Oh, I don't know about that. His bark's a lot worse than his bite. We have John C. McGinley, uh, television's Dr. Cox from Scrubs, as the Adam. Um, I, I, it's distracting to me because he has such a recognizable voice, but it's not, it's not that he does a bad job, you know? I, I mean, so here's the thing for me, I, I think that his, yes, once you know that it's him, you can listen and hear that it's him. But until I knew that it was him, like I, I, I knew coming into this episode that that's who played you know, that's who plays the Adam. But before then, I didn't think it was distracting enough because he does such a specific cadence as Dr. Cox on Scrubs. Like, mm-hmm. it's you can tell it's the same voice once you know, but for me, at least, it wasn't as distracting. Maybe it's one of those things that once the genie's out of the bottle, you can't put it back in type of thing. Um, but I, I didn't find it too, I didn't find it maybe as distracting as you did. That's fair. 
Um, yeah, other than that, we have Robert Picardo returning as Amazo. He has a little bit more emotion to uh, display in this episode, both in the scene where he's sort of communicating with Superman and, and asking why why they would stand against him when he's just going after one of their enemies. You cannot keep me from my goal. Telepathy. I'm not impressed. Why have you come back? What do you want? Why do you ask questions you already know the answer to? Luthor. Of course. We're not going to give him up. He's your enemy. You owe him nothing. And then that that final bit that we we talked about in plot of, of him sort of demanding answers from Lex as to what is the point of keeping going once you have achieved everything you set out to achieve? Yeah, I, I mean, that's a great segue, obviously, to talk about Clancy Brown, who reprises his mm-hmm. role as Lex Luthor. But to me, this episode is made in between on that conversation that the two of them have. And it's such such a great callback to their sort of the original conversations again that he and Amazo had in that tabula rasa episode. And, you know, it, there's a comment early made earlier in the, in the episode uh, that uh, Adam asks him, asks Lex why he, why Amazo is coming after him. And he, you know, he admits he took, he took advantage of his naivete and he says, um, he says that he stopped taking advantage of the innocent. And there's like a pause and Adam's like, well, I hope you're more convincing when you come <laughs> face to face with him. Uh, but it, it's interesting because there is this moment where you realize it's like, well, he can't really take advantage of him because he can't lie because Amazo knows could read his mind and would be able to tell if he is, but he's still so smart. And Amazo has all of this knowledge and you can tell like he's certainly as a character and certainly the performance reflects that he's grown since that first episode, but Lex and Clancy Brown's performance as Lex is just so great. He's still this absolute smartest guy in the room and he knows (laughs) it. No universe, however large, however small is denied to me. What do you want from me? You have everything humans desire. Wealth, power. Yet you crave more, and you'll do anything to get it. Why? What is your ultimate purpose? What you're really asking is, what is yours? What the devil's going on? Lex Luthor is saving the world. The truth is, for all my struggles to make my mark in life, for all I've accomplished, in just a few short generations, my name will be forgotten. Even the greatest of us can't compete with time and death. Then why do you go on? Why does anyone? Why don't I just destroy you and everything else right now? All it would take is a single thought and... No! If you do that, you won't see the end of it. The end of what? The evolutionary process. You, of all beings, should know something about that. Yes. Yes, I'm evolving. That's why Professor Ivo made me. These past months, I have amassed so much knowledge, and yet I remain confused. Empty. What am I evolving into? What is my purpose? I must know. Tell me! There's no way to tell. And that's why I stay in the game. My purpose, if you will, is to see where it's all going. And you, you'll live forever. You'll be able to see it all. Is that my purpose? Simply to be a witness? We create our own purpose in life. Now go create yours. You know, when I heard you were coming, I was actually afraid of you. Petrified. But now, when I see your fear, your uncertainty, I just pity you. 
should have quit while you were ahead. And he knows how to, like, the performance that Clancy Brown has always done for Lex is that, yes, I'm the smartest man in the room, and I might not be the strongest, and I might not have my weapons available to me, but I am still going to, I'm going to defeat you with my brain. Like, and he does. Like, he outsmarts this, the most powerful being he's ever come face to face with. Yes, that's a line uh, Odette Fair, as uh, Dr. Fate mentions, is, uh, you know, what, what, what's going on here? And, and Dr. Fate says, Lex Luthor is saving the world. And he does. Yep. Like, just, you know, he's op- he has to be, as you mentioned, he has to be kind of open and honest about how we're all, fi- you know, we're all fighting time. And that even the greatest men uh, in history will eventually all be lost and forgotten. And so he's still striving to find ways to, to, to continue this legacy and to, to continue on and to see how it all shakes out in this, in this world of these superpowered beings and literal gods in some cases. Um, and I, I think he's uh, Clancy Brown is uh, just, just fantastic. And, and him and Robert Picardo playing off each other uh, was quite, quite good as well. Um, and then to wrap up our voice cast here, Cal, we have uh, the green lanterns, of course, also voicing Steel, we have Phil Lamar as Jon Stewart, who I'm just going to keep harping on it because I really think it would have made the episode better. I really wish there was more of him in this episode because what we see of him is interesting. And hearing that he's having this tough time since Shaira has left and hearing that he wants to go back to Oa and then sort of the righteous fury in his voice when he hits that light him up or when he's yelling at Dr. Fate to, to get out of the way because... He murdered an entire planet. You can't call him that. Doctor Fate says that you know the 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 android has proved benign in the past, and and John's just not having any of it. And I, I think he's great. That the line that really sticks with me is that not even you can stand against the Green Lantern Corps. Wait, please. The android's nature has proved benign before. I believe it will again. Benign? You call destroying Oa benign? Not even you can stand against the Green Lantern Corps. Such dramatic delivers it perfectly and then as we said the returning Kyle Rayner it's not Michael P. Greco this time in fact it's another very familiar voice that being Terry McGinnis himself Will Friedle voicing Kyle Rayner uh another one where if it's not it's not that he does a bad job at all but he does pretty much do his Terry McGinnis voice so that's that's a bit distracting to me Agreed. Yeah, there's I mean, I think initially, at least he does. I mean, he doesn't have that many lines, but initially in that for opening scene, it, it's not as obvious. But when he talks about taking one last shot with their rings like it, it I was I did a double take. I was like, that's that's definitely Will Friedle. And then <laughs> sure enough, checking checking the uh, the the credits. It's like, oh, yeah, it's definitely Will Friedle. Like, yeah, it it. It was, you know, he doesn't do a bad job, but it just doesn't quite fit with the, uh, it doesn't quite fit with the character because yeah. it belongs to Terry McGinnis. Exactly, exactly. Nothing wrong with his performance, just it's it's too too closely associated with another voice. I think that's that's fair. Um, that will bring us to our scores here for voice acting, Cal. I had, like I said, it's a big cast. Everyone does their jobs very well. Like I said, I think. <laughs> I found a couple of the voices a bit distracting because of their uh, other roles that they've played in their lives. Sure. That being said, still a very strong score for me. I gave it a nine out of 10. And I gave it the same exact score, <laughs> nine out of 10. I think the highlight certainly is, as we keep saying, is the Amazo and Lex uh, dialogue. Definitely 
definitely the highlight of everything and uh, certainly a large cast. So for, for the amount of amount of work that had to be done here and certainly juggling who was going to be the lead, uh, I think ultimately they made the right decision in making this a Lex story and putting it on Clancy Brown's shoulders because that guy is a, uh, he's a legend. <laughs> a pro's pro, as they say. There you and- go. And that will bring us to our final scores here, Cal. And tallying everything up, looks like I have a very respectable 32 out of 40. Well, we can't really ever disagree that much here on this program. So we know that my score isn't that far behind. And uh, so my score actually is just a tick ahead. It's 33 out of 40. (laughs) Well, there you go. And I guess we should talk about rewatchability here. Um, even though this isn't a perfect episode and maybe doesn't do that much, it is a lot, right? There's a lot here between Lex getting a look at the Amazo blueprints, between the return of Hawkgirl, you get the entire Justice League in action, plus the return of Kyle Rayner and the rest of the Green Lanterns. I think this one is a a pretty easy thumbs up for rewatchability. It's very easy to watch. Absolutely. Like I said, I think I've watched this one, you know, probably a dozen times, maybe, maybe a little less, but probably close to double digits at this point. And uh, it's, it's a fun episode, especially if you're not looking at it critically and trying to figure out whether or not it's retelling, you know, if it's retelling Citizen Kane or not, like we tend to do <laughs> with some of these episodes. Um, I, it's fun. It, you know, you get a lot. Of, it's a visual smorgasbord. You really get to a, a feast for the eyes, as you, if you will. Um, it's it's enjoyable that way. And uh, and you get it's it's important to the overall story, as you said. You get you get some some the return of Shaira. You get uh, some a, a little bit of insight into what John's going through. You get you get the whole Lex Luthor subplot that eventually comes back to, into play. So yeah, there's there's a lot here as far as being important to the overall story to of the DCAU. So uh, yeah, I'm definitely in favor of, of saying, yeah, this is a put, put this one on. This is sort of a must watch. Awesome. And that will begin to wrap us up this week. But you know, Cal, we had so much fun in Justice League Unlimited as we're wrapping up our Green Lantern month here. What do you say we stick around in, in the world of JLU for another couple of weeks, huh? Uh, hey, I am all for that. We have, uh, we, I think, other than Static, we've probably, I think Static has, we've actually, we've probably reviewed more Static episodes than JLU at this point, but, because uh, I think we've only done a handful of JLU episodes as it uh, is. So. Yeah, I believe this is only the fourth one we've covered so far. So let's, yeah, hey, why why the heck not? Let's, uh, let's take the month of October, because that's uh, suddenly here, believe it or not. We're in the month <laughs> of October. So why don't we take October and make it a JLU month? Sounds good to me. And we will kick it off next week. Well, continue it, I guess, if you really want to be precise about it. We will continue into the world of JLU next week with a review of the episode Fearful Symmetry. Ooh, it's a good yep. one. That kicks off a lot of threads that eventually uh, lead to a lot of interesting storytelling as we go through the Justice League Unlimited. Absolutely, and also will be our first chance to talk about The Question, which I know you're excited for, Cal. So oh, yeah. <laughs> so that will all be coming up next week, but thank you very much for listening. Thank you for all the feedback you gave us on our Green Lantern Month. I probably had more tweets and, and comments than we've had for almost any other sort of themed month we've done to date so very much appreciated that if you want to join in on the conversation please feel free to add us at dcau review you can find us with those usernames on both instagram and twitter let us know what you'd like to see us review next or thoughts on our review or the episodes that we're reviewing always love talking with you folks about that or any other news going on in the world of the dcau or dc comics proper But until next week, I'm Liam. And I'm Cal. And we'll be back soon with another episode of the DCAU Review. Bye-bye.